0: I'm going to invite you tonight that you would open your Bible with me to the book of Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. Today was the first day of school. Can we praise the Lord? The Grizzlies are back. So it was such a joy to see them all walking in and uh, so much uh, just joy in the hallways and the classrooms of the students are back in school today. Well, we're going through Genesis, and we have started this book a few months ago, but today we pick up there in chapter 7 as we're taking our time there through studies in the life of Noah and also the events that took place of the flood. And one of the things that we see here that it reminds us of, that judgment is coming, judgment is coming, But in Christ, we have salvation. In Christ, he has made provision. In Christ, we have protection from the judgment of our sin. And we ended last week speaking of how the ark is a picture of that salvation. And it's a picture of that salvation that we have in Christ Jesus because that salvation was given to them designed by God. It was provided by God. And the only way to be saved from that judgment was to get on the ark. So today we put our faith in Christ Jesus as the ark only had one door. And Jesus, what did he say? I am the what? I'm the door. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We have to place our trust in Jesus just like Noah had to place his trust in the Lord, trust him, and obey in order to get in the ark and experience the salvation from the Lord. Now as we look at the life of Noah, we've noticed that he didn't shrink back from doing everything that God wanted him to do. What was he doing? He was trusting and he was obeying. And today, even in the day that we live in today right now, we have to really receive these, these warnings, because from chapter six through nine in the book of Genesis, we have many warnings as to how we are to respond. Many now encouragements as to how we are to now take God's instructions and live them out. And here, Noah, what he was doing is that he was a man that was a balanced believer. What does it mean to be a balanced believer? He trusted and obeyed God, but most importantly, he walked with the Lord. We learned that from Noah. If you like taking notes, write that down. Noah walked with the Lord in loving communion, in his presence. But Noah also worked for the Lord. How did he work for the Lord? He was building the ark. And then Noah also then witnessed for the Lord. And said that he was a preacher of righteousness. And at this time, men had turned their back on the Lord. They had corrupted themselves. And notice what happens here. As we see here, he's preaching in a very dark time. But today we see two major things in chapter 7 and 8 of the book of Genesis, that he was waiting on the Lord for instructions. And number two, he was worshiping the Lord with sacrifice. In fact, we titled this message today, The God of New Beginnings. How many of us are grateful tonight that God is the God of new beginnings? Amen. He is a God of new beginnings. And he's learning here to be patient and to wait on the Lord. I think a lot of us today need to learn to be wait patient and to wait on the lord to be patient not to be impulsive not not to fall under the temptation of wanting things instantly or wanting things now but obeying god's counsel today we live in a time where everything is given to us very instantly we want coffee we have it instantly we we go through a drive-thru and we get an order of our food and if it doesn't it's not given to us fast enough then we complain But notice here what is happening is that Noah is waiting on the Lord for instructions. I want to ask you tonight, are you willing to wait on the Lord? Are you willing to wait on the Lord to give you instructions for what is next? A lot of the times, because we don't wait on the Lord, what happens is that we get ahead of ourselves. And I want to tell you today, don't get ahead of yourself or don't get ahead of the Lord because you're emotional, or because you're excited, or because you want to see things happen right away. Wait on the Lord's timing. When God's given you peace, when he's opened up the door, it's also about God's timing. And in order for you to walk in God's timing, you have to be willing to wait on the Lord. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 6.12, the apostle says this, Paul says, that you do not become sluggish, don't become lazy or discouraged but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit promises know that today maybe you're in a waiting season know this faith trusting in God patience waiting on God that is what inherits promises oftentimes we don't see where God wants to take us because we're not willing to wait for his perfect timing and notice this God has his perfect timetable and where he will accomplish those things that he already has pre-planned beforehand for our lives we have to be willing to wait on the lord and what happens here is that we see that the lord is in the midst even of these events the psalmist david as he thought about the flood he said in psalms 29 10 the lord sat enthroned at the flood God was in control even through the flood. God was in control in the storm. And he says, And the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. What did David know? That no matter how great the storm was, no matter how great the storms of life may be, God is still on the throne. And you see that even through the life of Noah, that no matter how strong, the waves were, the storm was, God was still on the throne, and he was causing all these things to work out together for good. And as we approach this chapter, chapter 7, know this, No one not only believed that God would send the flood, he trusted, he believed that God would do it, but he also obeyed what God told him to do in preparation for it. Today, maybe God's told you he's going to do something. Are you preparing yourself for the promises that That God already has given you. Because here Noah was preparing himself in obedience. Walking expecting that God was going to do what he said he would do. And it says that he waited on God. Notice chapter 7 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah. This is amazing. Because it speaks that he's continuing to fellowship with the Lord. He's continuing to hear the voice of God. He never stops hearing the voice of God. It says, Then the Lord said, When everything was ready, notice what happens. Come into the ark. Soaker the word come. Because here you find an invitation into the ark. That God is saying, Everything is now ready. The ark has been completed. 120 years of building and of preaching and of waiting on the Lord. And finally the Lord gives him an invitation. You can come into the ark now. But notice what he says in this invitation you and all of your household or your family, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Why is he invited into the ark for salvation? Why does he receive this invitation that would deliver him from the judgment that would come unto all of the world because of their sin and because of the rebellion? And it says here that the Lord said, Come because I have seen that you are righteous in this generation. You are different. I've seen, Noah, that you are a different man. You're a God-fearing man in a godless world. You have not corrupted yourself, Noah. You haven't compromised. You you have not conformed yourself to this world. That's exactly what he's telling them. If you see here, you're righteous before me in this generation. What does it mean? He was different than everyone else. We have to remind ourselves that we're called to be different than this world. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, what is it that we hear? The renewing of the mind, the transformation of the life. What is Paul says to the church, because of the mercies of God, that you would not conform yourselves to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're always called in Scripture not to be conformed, but be transformed. And Noah was a man that was not conformed to the present corruption. He had, he had integrity in his life. He had holiness in his life. He had a godly character. He wasn't influenced by what everyone was doing or by the agenda of the world at that time. And notice as he gives him the scriptures now and these instructions now in the next few verses. Because it tells us here in verse 2, you shall take with you seven of each clean animal. And he says here, male and female, two of each animals that are unclean, a male. And a female. Now, why does he have to take seven pairs of clean animals and two of the rest? Because here he's going to take enough animals to sacrifice to the Lord. And then in verse 3, it continues also seven of each birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive or to preserve the animals alive on the face of all of the earth. He's giving them instructions. This is what I want you to do, Noah. I've seen that you're a godly man. I see you're a man that not only will listen to obstructions, but also will obey. You see, that's the difference there. There There's so many people that listen to what God has to say, but they're not willing to do it. (laughs) And if you want to be used by God, if you want to be a, a man and woman of the Lord that is different in your generation, it's not simply about hearing the voice of God, but it's also about obeying the voice of God. That after he's spoken to you, you're willing to do what he said to do. It's about what God says, not about what people say. Not about what you want. And notice as he continues, he says, but after seven more days, I want you to go in the ark, and after, circle the word after. Because he was going to go in the ark, and it says, and after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. I want you to go in the ark, and it's going to happen after seven days. Go in with the animals. Go in with your family. And after seven days, then it will start to rain. What does that mean? That for seven days, Noah was in the ark with the animals, and it did not rain. Now, what do you think he thought? He was here. He was finally in this massive water vessel. And people were probably passing by mocking him for seven days. Noah, where's the rain? Where's everything you talked about that was going to happen? You preacher of righteousness, right? You're now preaching judgment and repentance upon the whole world, but nothing has happened. And he was there. Do you think he began to doubt? Oftentimes when God says, I want you to do that very next thing, and we do it, and we're waiting, and God has us on a waiting season for seven days. What do we do? We begin to doubt. (laughs) But notice what he did. He stayed waiting on the Lord. And notice what happens here in verse 4, because it tells us, after seven more days, I will cause it to rain, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. What is he going to do, the Lord? 40 days, 40 nights, it's going to rain, and then I will destroy all the earth. That number 40 here, as we study the Bible, we know that it comes up as a sign of judgment, 40. A sign of, of testing, a sign of preparation, the number 40. And this is what the Lord was telling Noah, I want you to know that you will have to wait, but I'm going to be with you in the process of every step that I give you. But I want you to wait till I give you the next instructions. Now notice that he was building in him not only godly character, but he was building in Noah a man who was willing to listen and obey. And it says in verse 5, And Noah did, here it is, his faith in action. No one did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. What did he do? According to all that the Lord had commanded him. He didn't do some things that God had said and, and neglect the other things, or he, was, he wasn't careless about some of the instructions that God gave him. In fact, it said that he continued to obey, and he did everything as the Lord commanded. How many times has the Lord given us instructions And we say, Lord, we thank you for those instructions, but we're going to change them a little bit so they fit our plans or they fit our timing. He didn't try to change the plans. He didn't do his own plans. He trusted and obeyed God's timing. He says, Lord, as you want it, that's the way I want to give it to you. I don't want to add to it. I don't want to take away from it. I don't want to make it my plan. Lord, it's your plan, and I'm going to obey that plan. There are times that God shows us what his plan is. But oftentimes we resist it, we fight against it. We say, Lord, we don't want that plan. That doesn't fit our schedule or that doesn't fit our timetable. Lord, we want our timing. But notice what Noah did. He was a man that obeyed God. He was a God-fearing man. He did everything according to what God had said. And I want to tell you something. If you don't obey and you don't honor God's plan he will still honor his plan, with you or without you. Because he is God. And he is over all things. But he's looking for us to yield and to surrender to his plan so that we can be a part of it and that he can use us. That we wouldn't resist his plan, that we don't resist his timing, that we would be like Noah, that we do everything according to his plans. It's not our plans, it's his plans. And then in verse 6, notice what's happened. And Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. Don't ever think you're too old that God won't use you. 600 years old. And the flood waters come on the earth, so Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because the waters of the flood. Verse 7, it speaks that they come into the ark to escape the judgment of God upon the earth. And we see here in verse 8, of the clean animals, of the animals that are unclean, of the birds, of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah here. Now isn't this amazing here, that everything that God said, it was taking place, the way God commanded it. We mentioned last week, how is it that all these animals came to Noah, (laughs) He didn't have to go and look for them and and hunt them down and and bring them to the ark. What happened here? We see that God orchestrated this. God provided these animals. Just think about it. Noah starts to get into the ark with his family, and all of a sudden the world starts to see that animals are flocking towards the ark. You would think that by that moment someone would have said, I think it's going to start to rain. (laughs) But the hearts of men were filled with one thing. You know what it was? Unbelief. Unbelief. And you know what unbelief always demonstrates itself? As the hardness of hearts. The hardness of heart. That you're unwilling to believe. Unwilling. The people were unwilling to believe. Why? Because they prefer themselves over God's plan. Be very careful when you're in a place in your life where your heart has become so hard that it's filled with unbelief. So it says here in verse 9 that the animals are coming. And in verse 10, and it came to pass that after seven days, notice, that the waters of the flood were on the earth. Now this is amazing that God still gave the people. After 120 years of a grace period, God still says, he is still merciful, he's still filled with grace. What does he do? I'm going to give you one extra week. (laughs) After the animals come into the ark, after Noah and his family comes into the ark for seven days, they still had an opportunity to repent. Why? Because God is long-suffering. And God is not willing that any should perish. And maybe right now you're struggling with, with surrendering to the Lord, to really yielding to what God's plan is. Notice, he's being patient with you. But there's going to be a coming time, point in our lives, where his patience is going to run out, and then there's going to be judgment. And notice what happens here. Because God's grace, God's kindness for seven days is extended. But in verse 11, notice what happens here. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month of the day, that all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened from the water from beneath the oceans and also from the skies, the windows of heaven, were open and the flood covered the earth. And we see this is happening from beneath and from above. This water starts to take place for 40 days. Verse 12. And the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on the very day, that same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, Japhna, Noah's wife, and the three wives of his son with them entered the ark. This is amazing here. What happens? Noah is hearing from the Lord. And as Noah's is hearing from the Lord, what does he do? He gets on the ark. And what does his family do? His family follows him. <laughs> you want to be a strong leader? Then get on the ark. And you know what has happened. Your family's going to follow you there. Your family's going to follow you on the ark. You want salvation for your family? Then get on the ark. Get on the ark. Put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And notice what takes place. They and every beast of its kind, the cattle after its kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. Verse 15, and they went into the ark to Noah two by two of all flesh in which it is the breath of Life. Now notice how amazing this is because everything that God does, as you look at it two by two, of every sort, of every kind, what does it remind us? That everything that God does, He does decently and He does it in order. (laughs) And God is orchestrating all these things. And it says, So those that entered, male and female of the flesh, verse 16, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Who shut the door of that ark? It wasn't Noah. It wasn't man that shuts the door to our salvation. Who was it? It was the Lord. It was the Lord the one that closed the door. It wasn't Noah. And notice what happens because God gave them time to repent. But that time was up. And God closed that door, that opportunity for salvation, for deliverance from the judgment to come. So in verse 17 to 24, you see that the flood waters grew deeper. Let's look at verse 17. It says, Now the flood was on the earth for 40 days, and the waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark was moved about on the surface of the waters. The waters started to grow, that it moved now the ark, and it lifted it above the surface of the earth. And the waters prevailed exceedingly, verse 19, on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. Even the highest mountains were covered. Think about how much water it took for 40 days of a mass global flood to cover the entire earth. Now, a lot of people believe, well, this wasn't a global flood. This was a local flood. But no, look what it says there in verse 19. Understand how it speaks. Under the whole heaven were covered. This wasn't just a flood uh, in a a location or in a a region or area. This was a global flood that took place. And the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. Verse 20, what does it say? 22 feet above the highest peak of the mountains were covered with water. (laughs) Think about the mighty force of water that took place and how it changed the the landmass of how, of what we see today. It is believed that after the flood, the continents were created. That before it was one big landmass that God created. And after the flood, it, it divided the lands. You saw mountains erupt to be even higher. And because of it, rivers and lakes took place because of the flood, canyons and valleys. Everything that we see today, notice is a result because of the flood. Because there's this global cataclysmic event that took place that rearranged geology from when it once first was created by God. When you go to the Grand Canyon, you see pictures of it. You see pictures of valleys and rivers and lakes. Notice all of those things were created as a byproduct of the flood. It's so interesting how God has done things, right? That reminds us of God's judgment, but also of God's faithfulness. And notice in verse 20, the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward. The mountains were covered, and all flesh died. that moved on the earth, birds and the cattle, the beasts of every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man was destroyed. What was this? This was God's judgment, that he had seen that the earth had been corrupted. And what does he do? He wipes it all out. He cleans up the earth. He destroys the earth. Every man, every creeping thing, the Lord said he was not now pleased that he had created man and that man had corrupted himself. That is the very thing that awaits a person that wants to live in sin. It's the very thing that awaits any type of person when we say that we have rejected God's patience and grace and love to repent and turn to him. Notice what's coming, judgment. But what happens here in verse 22, in all whose nostrils was breath. Of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. Every type of vegetation, all creation. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground. Both man and cattle, creeping thing, and bird of the air, they were destroyed from the earth. Notice, everything was destroyed. But notice who remained. Who was saved? Who was delivered there? Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive you know what that sounds like that sounds like salvation (laughs) that salvation that we have as we put today even our trust in jesus christ that everything will one day be wiped away but if we put our trust in jesus christ notice what remains only that which is in jesus remains Only he who is in Jesus remains. And in verse 24, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. 150 days, the waters, the flood upon the whole earth, a global flood. And what happens after the flood? That now it was a time of rest and renewal after judgment. Of rest and renewal after this tribulation. You see, this is incredible here because this chapter really records in in chapter 8, the end of a storm and the beginning of new life, of new hope for God's people. How many of us know that after a storm, there's always new life and new hope for God's people? Amen. And that's what you see in chapter 8, that God judged the earth, but then after he provided hope and he provided new life, he calmed the storm. This is amazing that the same God that provided the storm is the same God whose hand calmed the storm. Today, maybe you're going through a storm. I want you to know, he calms the storm. In Psalms chapter 107, verse 29, would you write this down? Psalms 107, 29, it says, he calms the storm. So that the waves are still. Maybe today you find yourself in a storm. You're saying, Lord, what is it that you're doing? What are you trying to teach me? Well, it says here, he calms the storm. So that the waves are still. Psalms 107, 29. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired heaven. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And you see here that Moses, uh, Noah here, begins and continues to wait on the Lord. And notice in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, Then God remembered Noah. This is amazing. Circle that in your Bible, verse 1. He remembered Noah. Isn't it amazing that we have a God who is faithful, who remembers? He doesn't forget. He, he doesn't make a promise that he doesn't keep. <laughs> you know who does that? We do that, Right? We always make promises and then we forget we made that promise. Or we've been let down because someone promised us something and then they forgot that promise. Well, it says here that God remembers. What does it mean? That he's faithful. It means that he keeps his promises. That even when you're going through a storm, it's easy to feel, and I want you to know this, maybe forsaken, maybe forgotten. Or you start to think to yourself, when is this storm going to end? Well, notice this. Verse 1 is a promise that he is with you in the storm. He does not forget. He does not change. Part of God's attributes is that he's immutable. And that word remember, it means that he doesn't mean that he forgot and then he remembered again. It means that he's paying attention. It means here that he's fulfilling a promise, it means that he's acting on behalf of of someone else he's acting on behalf here of Noah he remembers him he's making now a commitment on a on a previous promise that he made and then a fulfillment of that promise now as an announcement i want you to know something god never forgets or forsakes his people god remembers his people even in a world that is filled with darkness, God always remembers his people. And not only because of his promise does he remember his people, but because it's God's character to remember his people. God is love. And you know what happens where there is love? Where there is love, there's also faithfulness. And we can depend on God no matter what circumstances we're in, no matter how we feel, we can depend on God that God remembers you may find yourself right now feeling alone forsaken that when is this going to finally end i want you to know god remembers and every promise that he gave you notice he's going to fulfill why is it that when we step out in faith god gives us promises we looked at that last week when god asks you to step out in faith he gives you a promise so that you have peace and you have confidence in his plan and here god remembers the plan God confirms it. God's about to fulfill it. It is a part of God's character. In Genesis 19, verse 9, note this, it says, God remembered Abraham. In Genesis 30, verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. It wasn't too late. And he opened up her womb. In Psalms 9, verse 12, he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? He doesn't forget. He always remembers that God has a heart for his people. In Psalms 136, verse 23, it says this, he remembered us in our lowly state for his mercy endures forever. You may find yourself in a time where you say, I don't know if I'm ever going to be where I think I will be. God remembers. He knows where you are at right now. And he has a perfect timeline for your life. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. What is the promise of God given to us as his people? He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. God remembers. Tonight, maybe you need to hear that. God remembers. He knows. He's faithful. He remembered Noah, but notice what also he remembered. Every living thing, all the animals that were with him in the ark, God God remembered all of the creatures that he had brought into the ark. And what happens? That not only God remembered, but notice, God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. This is incredible because at this time, what does God do? He makes a wind to pass over the earth and the waters, and the waters start to decrease. You see, God is giving Noah every instruction of what he wants him to do next. There are times in our life that we want the Lord to tell us what the end looks like. And he says, I'm not going to let you know what three steps ahead looks like. I just want you to do the next thing. And when you find yourself in a place, in a storm, in a place where you're waiting, notice what are you to do? And you say, I don't know what to do next. Just do the next thing that he's told you to do. Do the next thing that's right before you. Because God is providing and he's making a way. Your responsibility is to obey. God is the one that's going to provide. Do you see God providing here protection? All Noah had to do was obey and then God provided a way. He made a wind pass over the waters and the waters started to subside. And notice how it happened here because in verse 2 it says, the fountains of the deep, number one, the windows of heaven were stopped, number two. And the rain from the heavens were restrained, number three. From three places, water was taking place. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decrease. Now that word where it says that God made a wind pass over the earth and the waters decrease, you know what that word wind here means? It's the same word that we use from Numa or rima, which means spirit. A wind means a spirit. And the spirit passed over the waters. Now, the Bible gives illustration. This is a beautiful picture that we have here. The Bible gives illustration that water is a symbol of the word. That we would be washed by the water of the word, right? It was the spirit of God. As the spirit of God works over the word of God, notice what happens. We're able to see the world a lot clearer. Do you see how you need both the Spirit and the Word working together? The Spirit and the Word working together that makes us look at the world much clearer according to God's plan. And what happens here in verse 4? Notice, then the ark rested in the seventh month of the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat, modern-day Turkey. There are so many people that believe that maybe they have found the ark there archaeologists but notice what it takes place here in that month it said that it rested circle that word "rest." how many of us know that after God's judgment is satisfied we get to experience rest in fact after God's judgment was satisfied on the cross in the New Testament through Calvary in Jesus Christ because of his finished work and him paying the price for our judgment notice what we experience now in Christ rest and here we see that they experienced this rest and the waters decreased now notice verse 5 and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month he was still on the ark after it had stopped raining he had to wait now for the waters to decrease it didn't he, it wasn't that the rain stopped and noah said all right let's get out of this ark now with these animals <laughs> Or, I'm tired of being with this, these eight people in this ark for 150 days. It hasn't stopped. Notice what happens. After it stopped raining, he still had to stay on the ark. There are so many times that we think, well, we should have been there already. Well, no, God has a plan for you to wait. And you know why God has a plan for you to wait? Because he's teaching you in the process, he's preparing you in the process so that you're ready for the next place he wants to take you. And notice what happens, because he's doing this with Noah. It says, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. After two and a half months, then you could see the top of the mountains. Just think about that. And Noah knew, well, it's not time to get out yet. (laughs) But you know what he's exercising here, Noah? He's exercising faith, because he's waiting for God's time before he steps out of the ark, you know what's being tested here? His patience. His patience. Because he's exercising faith, waiting on God's timing for directions. And I want you to know something tonight, even as we look at this text, that obeying God's will not only involves doing the right thing in the right way, with the right motive, but it also means doing it at the right time. It's not only about doing the right thing the right way, with the right motive. It also means you're doing it at the right time. And you know what Noah was sensitive? He was discerning God's timing and all of these things. So in verse six, it says, so it came to pass. Beautiful word here. That, that Noah learned that the storm would pass, that the winds would pass, that the waves always pass. And what does he do after this? He knows that those things come to pass, that this too shall pass. It was only for a season. Remind yourself today, this is a season and it's going to pass. And notice what happens now. He's learning all these things and he, he lets now, he opened the window of the ark, which he had made, and he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. The raven just kept going till it found and tried to look for a home. But he goes on and notice what he does in wisdom. You know what? You really know someone is waiting on God. You know what the number one characteristic you see in their lives? Wisdom. Wisdom to be willing to wait on the Lord. It is so wise to wait on God's timing because he's made everything beautiful and perfect in its own time. So don't rush anything, don't try to rush anything, don't get ahead of the Lord. You'll spoil his plan. (laughs) And notice what it says here now. And he also sent out for himself a dove. I love this. Because you know what the dove symbolizes in the Bible? What? The Holy Spirit. (laughs) He was depending upon confirmation from the dove. Maybe today you're saying, should I step out of the ark? And God is saying, wait for the confirmation from the Holy Spirit. Today, maybe you're waiting on the Lord. Is it time to take that next step? And God's saying, wait for confirmation from the dove. Wait from, and you know what the dove does? This is amazing what the dove does, what the Holy Spirit provides if you're waiting for that step of faith. Because it says, to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground, but the dove found no resting place. It wasn't time yet. For the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark with him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days and again. Now, we don't like those words. And he waited yet another. We don't like waiting. Well, you said, well, you know, we thought we'd be there in seven days. We had to wait another seven days. Are you kidding me? But he's learning to wait on the Lord, and it says here, And he sent the dove out of the ark, and the dove came in that evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf that was in the mouth, and no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. What does that olive leaf represent in Scripture? What does it tell us? Peace. The Holy Spirit, the dove that symbolizes the Holy Spirit, you know what he brought to Noah? Peace. This is amazing. If you're waiting on the Lord, notice this. Wait for the confirmation of the Holy Spirit when He gives you peace and He shows you it's time to move on. Wait for the confirmation of the Holy Spirit that brings to you peace and lets you know it's time to take the next step. And notice what He does here. So He waited even after He received the confirmation. He waited, it says here, yet another seven days, and he sent out the dove, and it did not return again to him anymore. (laughs) He knew it was time. He knew that he had received a sign that would say, it's time to go. And it came to pass on the 600th and the first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. Notice, he continued to seek the Lord for confirmation and for timing he patiently waited in order to make the next step that would be the right one in god's plan he wasn't in a rush he wasn't doing it hastily he didn't want it now he wasn't impulsive he wasn't emotional he was waiting he was waiting And notice what takes place in verse 14. In the second month of the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Notice this is amazing. He's waiting to listen to God's voice. And in verse 15, he hears the voice of God, and it says, go out. The voice of God is the one that says, come in to the ark. But the voice of God is the one that says, go out. Step out with your family now. You would say, you know what, the Lord has called me to step out to this relationship or to this new job or to take a step of faith in ministry. Notice, wait for the confirmation of the Holy Spirit to give you peace and the voice of God when he says, go out through confirmation of his word. It was the word of God that told him, it's time, go. Would you say, Lord, every time I take a next step, before God tells me to go and to step out now or to go to the next place, He would say, Lord, I want scripture that says, go, it's time. And maybe you're waiting for it. And today, here it is. God is saying, go, do it. And notice what he says here. You and your wife. Is it just me? No, you and your wife. (laughs) Be with your family. This is what he's saying. And your sons. And your son's wife. With you. This is incredible here. He's giving them confirmation. I want you to go with your wife and your entire family. This is a family calling now. And it says, And bring out with you every living thing of the flesh that is with you, birds, cattle, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth, and be there fruitful and multiply on the earth. Notice he gives them specific instructions. He gives them that command again of procreation to be fruitful. And what else? To multiply it. Verse 18, so Noah went out. Notice, and his sons and his wife and his sons and his wife with him. This is faith that works. So Noah went out. The Lord said, Go out. And you know, in verse 18, what happened? Faith that works. Faith without works. James says, What is it? It's dead. You can say, I trust God. But it doesn't truly show until so you're willing to step out. Until so you're willing to obey what he said to do. And he, his faith is working. His faith is an action. Every animal, verse 19, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever so, whatsoever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Everyone went out. And Then God reaffirms the natural order here because it says that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. What does he do? The first thing he does, he remembers God. God remembered Noah. And at the end of chapter 8, what does it say? That Noah remembered God. What does he do? He goes and he builds an altar. And he starts to sacrifice to the Lord. Notice, he enjoyed God's presence and God speaking to him and waiting on God's timing that when he left, you know what he did? The first thing he did, he went straight to the altar. (laughs) And he sacrificed at the altar there. This was his first act of leaving now the ark. You know what it was? Worship and thanksgiving to the Lord. Sacrifice. And what does he offer? Out of the clean animals. And this was a costly sacrifice because he only had seven. (laughs) So what does he do? He goes to the altar and he makes a sacrifice that is costly as worship to him. You know what happens at the altar when we go to the Lord in worship? And we go to the Lord in sacrifice at the altar? You know what happens? Our lives are altered. Our lives are changed. Your life has not been changed probably because you haven't been at the altar You know what happens at the altar? At the altar, we come and we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we say, Lord, here we are because this burnt sacrifice, it was a sacrifice of consecration, of separation. And this is what it tells us here. Notice verse 21. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Notice what he presented. He smelled it. It was something that was pleasing to God. Why was it pleasing to God? Because Noah presented it From his heart. Think about how many times we go to the altar and the things that we put on the altar, God's not pleased with. You know how sometimes God's not pleased with it? Because we're doing it with an ulterior motive. Because we're serving the Lord, always expecting to receive something in return. When was the last time what you offered to God was in worship, was in sacrifice? Because if it didn't cost you anything, know this, you can't call it a sacrifice. And here we see here that the Lord smelled it and it was something that was pleasing because it came from the heart of Noah and he was now satisfied and pleased with this devotion. Notice what takes place here. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, God made another promise. Now will I again destroy every living thing that I have done? This is amazing God's plan he says you know what I I will never do this again that's God's faithfulness I'll never do this again he receives and he accepts that sacrifice he says notice I know this is a costly sacrifice I'll never again judge the world this way again you know what this sounds like in verse 21 it sounds like this beautiful word called grace (laughs) it's grace nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done even though, notice what he says in verse 21. I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. I know man's heart is evil from his youth, but I will never judge him this way ever again. Nor will I destroy every living thing as I have done. Verse 22. While well, the earth remains, seed time and harvest cold, and he, he reinstitutes seasons, rhythms, Times, winter and summer day and night shall not cease you know when you think about the seasons that go on throughout the year you know what you can think of and you can be reminded of when you think of every season you're reminded of God's concern and God's love that he's on the throne and that he's keeping his promises that after the flood that after the altar that after the sacrifice you know what comes restoration but he doesn't restore. Notice, he doesn't restore until we first have gone to the altar. Some of us want restoration, but before restoration happens, you know what has to happen? That we go to the altar. And we say, Lord, I want you to do that work in me today. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you because you keep your promises. What does Solomon say in 1 Kings chapter 8? He said, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel, according to all that he has promised. He gave rest according to everything that he said. He's doing it. There has not failed one word of his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. How many of us can praise God today that not one word of what he has says fails? God judged the world then with water. But we know, as scripture tells us through Peter, that one day He will judge the world with fire, with fervent heat. But before that happens, He's long-suffering. Today you've come, you say, you know what I need? I need the grace of God in my life. I want to walk in the promises of God. I'm going to learn to wait on his timing, and I need his strength. Would you just stand right now? Because we're going to pray together. I'm I'm going to stand with you.